Welcome, everyone, to the ninth installment of the Hot Takes from the Berg podcast. I'm your host, Jason Michener, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. How you doing today, Ian? I'm doing really good. Um, we're starting to get into the second round. There's no better time to be into the basketball than right now. Um, and it it feels good. It feels right. There has been some, some craziness happening so far. We're about to get into that, of course. Uh, I think the first things first, we have to hop into that Houston OKC series that went seven games. And Lou Dort almost, almost hit the game winner if James Harden was just a split second later. Man, I, I feel there's no one that I feel more bad for than Lou Dort uh, through all of this. Uh, close second would be Chris Paul just because, I mean, we all know that, you know, with that, I, I, we didn't expect him to get a ring with this team, but. Chris Paul has got to be, you know, just one of the most legendary players that I've seen throughout my generation. And so it's kind of just a hard guy not to root for. But Lou Dort, man, talk about a roller coaster series for a player. This man was, after game one, certified – or was it game one or game two? I can't – after one of the first two games, he was like the certified Harden stopper. You know, everyone is like, he figured it out. He knows how to stop him. And – um. Then throughout the whole series, his defense was incredible. It was the offensive end where it was, you know, the roller coaster. You had games where he couldn't hit a single shot, be it a free throw or a layup. And then he had a game like game seven where a man looked like the best offensive player on the court. So I, I, I feel for him, um, but he's, he's a rookie, undrafted rookie at that. Um, inconsistencies are, you know, one of the things that comes along with being a young player and um, he looks to have a bright future, but man, was that, well, it was a great defensive play by Harden. Um, he hadn't been playing good on offense the whole game and he made, he made the play when it needed to be made. And that's why Houston, this Houston team to me is more scary than anything that they had. Cause this team is really buying into defense and with the way they shoot the three, that combination is scary. I mean, the playoffs, I didn't think they were going to be as good as people were hyping them up to be. I, I still don't see them taking it over Los Angeles just because it's, it's LeBron and AD. P.J. Tucker isn't going to be able to guard JaVale or Anthony Davis or Dwight Howard. That's my main worry because, yes, Steven Adams is taller and much bigger than uh, P.J. Tucker, but he's nowhere near as offensively gifted as Anthony Davis is. No, it's not even close. And this this is where I think that the Rockets will get exposed is in this round with the um is with the Lakers because like you said, it's just the Lakers almost feel like an like a throwback kind of a team. And it's weird to say because I mean we're only you know, a couple of years in this new era, but it's the Lakers and the Bucks, I'd say, are like the one or two teams to me that really kind of still buy into the, you know, five positions. And um and the Lakers are really big. You said it yourself. I mean, AD, JaVale, Dwight, LeBron, they are a big team. And they have no problem getting to the rim, uh, especially with LeBron and his passing. I mean, this is going to be a very tough matchup for Houston. Um, and 
I would feel more a little more confident, you know, in Houston if they just had at least a seven footer that they could put out there. I mean, Tyson Chandler is ancient at this point, and he, he's not going to come in the game and you know contest shots on AD or Dwight or Javale. You know what I'm saying? So, and the thing with AD is he's able to stretch the floor. Yeah. So Ty- Tyson Chandler is not a perimeter defense, like a perimeter big man at all. Just, that's what's scariest. And PJ Tucker, Ro- Roko don't have the reach to be able to block any of AD's shots from the perimeter. No, AD should have a field day um, this entire series, really. And I think that, um, and I think LeBron's whole. I think LeBron is licking his chops right now when it comes to this because I think this is the matchup LeBron wanted, um, solely for the fact of. He knows what he's capable of, but he also remembers this is still all new territory for Anthony Davis. And I think he, this is going to be just a, a chemistry builder, you know, kind of, you know, filling AD's head up, getting him at his most confident or getting him as confident as he can be going on. Because he knows in the next round and the next round is where he's really going to need AD. Yeah. Um. Now hopping into that Denver Utah series, that was oh I'm gonna call it this is the greatest series I've ever watched in the first round. And it's not close. An eighty to seventy-eight game seven win, that's like that's a nineteen eighties type of score. Oh yeah. It, it was it was so weird because there wasn't a person on the planet that expected neither team to reach 90 in this game. I mean, how many 50-point games do we have? We had five in this series. Five 50 Jamal and Donovan Mitchell both dropped two each. It's just I, – I didn't expect it. But I thoroughly even still enjoyed the game seven. It was a dogfight. And um, it wasn't what we were used to from the series. But um, – and – I going into the game, if you told me it would have been that kind of a game, I would have had Utah all day. But I, I, you have to give it to the Nuggets. They played harder and they wanted it. And man, who was it that missed that game winner for Utah? That was so I mean, close. Oh, it ran out. out. And Mike Con. Okay. The thing with this series, Mike Conley showed that he is still a good player. Yeah, I mean, he really did. And it was – I don't want to speculate on what was going on, but it, I, I'm going to just say, you know, sometimes you fall into a rut and you just don't have it for a while. And I know also he's been, you know, playing through injuries. I'm pretty sure he was coming off an injury from Memphis last year he um, before he was uh, traded. So, I mean, it's been a, a long way back for him, but Conley is – I don't care where he is in his career. He'll probably still forever be, you know, one of the most underrated point guards. And he's definitely a playoff kind of point guard. I mean, just, you know, he's going to guard the best offensive uh, guard. He's going to pass the ball. He's going to play good offense. He's not going to turn the ball over. He'll hit shots. That's Mike Conley. And um, it, it was nice to see him kind of, you know, come back and just fit right back into that role that we're so used to seeing him in. But um, man, I, I feel I feel real bad for Donovan Mitchell. 
he put literally everything on the court. And if I'm Utah, something has to happen. You need you need a, a running mate for for Mitchell. Uh, Gobert is awesome. He's an outstanding defensive center, but Donovan Mitchell needs somebody that he can really rely on for a bucket so that it's not all on him. Because mm-hmm. Mike Conley's getting up there in age. Yeah, Just Mike that, Conley is probably seen his best ball, you know? I, I think Mike Conley is on, definitely going to be on the decline in the next few years. Yeah. Because he's already what? Yeah, he's 32. Yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, Utah has a, a really good collection of players right now. But for Donovan's sake, I think it's going to take one more player. I don't know who it is. I don't know how you get them because they're also in this weird predicament where they're not – I'm going to say some people might think it's a hot take. I don't think Utah is good enough to win a championship in the next three years with their current collection of talent. Um, but they're also not bad enough to probably hit the lottery barring a Donovan Mitchell injury in, you know, the next three years either. So it's going to be a little difficult for them to, you know, find that right player to go with Donovan or they're going to have to get, you know, creative with how they get that player. But I I think that's what it's going to take because watching this series for, you know, all seven games, it made me realize how much, has to go through Donovan. I know they were missing Bogdanovich, who was, you know, I think their second leading scorer. Oh, yeah, he he was a 20 – that's 20 points gone a night. Yeah, and that, that is a huge blow. But even for Bogdanovich, he's not really a shot creator, you know. He's kind of someone who is a beneficiary of others' shot creation. So – He's more of that spot-up shooter in the corner. Yeah, which, I mean, there was a lot of instances where, you know – Utah could use that in the series, but I just don't think that with the current collection, they can really compete for a championship. And it's not an easy place to be in for a franchise. No, it's not. Um, but that, that wraps up the first round. Um, I think we should hop into what has, I think has been the most shocking first two games in Miami and Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, what is happening with Giannis? Giannis is – he's playing into the hands of the Miami Heat. They – you can tell that their whole defensive scheme is is basically like, like this. Giannis is going to get his at the rim. Everything else needs to be made as difficult as possible. And this is the perfect construction of a team for the Bucks. This whole team is switchable defenders. You have a guy like Duncan Robinson, who's basically um, a lot of people would just, you know, peg as as a sharpshooter. But the dude is six foot eight and moves really good for his size. Like he can legitimately switch and play hard defense on one through four position players. That versatility cannot go unnoticed. And it is the sole reason why the Heat are doing so good. They – they get a switch, and it's Jimmy Butler on Giannis. They'll take that all day. You know what Jimmy Butler is about on the defensive end. Bam out of bio. I love Bam in this series. He's been absolutely killing it. And 
he he can easily switch onto any player in the series. Easily. I would even take him on some guards. That's how just he's like a cat. And then you have um oh no, I can't think of his name. Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder has been probably the defensive MVP of the entire series. Just feel like you are constantly seeing him on a different matchup and he's playing outstanding defense no matter who it is. You know what really shocked me is like in game two they had a huge chance to win and then they just fouled Jimmy Butler at the end. Yeah. And that's not a play that we're used to seeing from a number one C team that ran away with, you know, in basically every category like the Bucks did. Like you have the defense player of the year, most likely the MVP, and you're down 0-2 to a five seed who only really has one, if, if you would call Jimmy Butler a superstar. I don't know if he's exactly a superstar. I know he's, he's a very, very, very good player. No, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I don't think Jimmy Butler is a superstar. A great player. A great player, but not a superstar. No. And Milwaukee has arguably the best player in the NBA right now in Giannis. And a fantastic sidekick in Chris Middleton. I really don't know I'm, what it's going to take for the Bucks to get back into this series. If they go down 3-0, I, I think it's over. Uh, yeah, I would I would say that it's over. If uh, if we see three zero, I, I still think it is as weird as it is to be in this position. I'd still say I only kind of favor the Heat in this series, like sixty to forty percent. Like uh, I just don't, I can't really get it in my head yet that the Bucks would lose. But this was the matchup that the Heat wanted. The Heat wanted to play the Bucks because the Heat played the Bucks really, really good. And I think the Bucks are in their own heads about it. I think that they're they're just convincing themselves with every missed shot and every game that they lose that they can't beat the Heat. And the, the Heat have the best defensive composition to go up against the Bucks. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because Boston and Toronto do not have the defensive players to stop. Giannis and Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe all at the same time. Yeah. But you have Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Jay Crowder all on the floor at the same time, and you can switch in Andre Iguodala. You can switch in Kendrick Nunn. It's really unfair, the amount of defensive players that they have. Um, And not just defensive players. Defensive players – who know their roles on offense. It's not like these are guys that you're throwing out there and you're like, oh, just go play defense. You've got Drake, Jay Crowder, who has been on fire from three in this series. I feel like I haven't seen him miss a single three in this series, to be honest. And then you have other players, like you said, Kendrick Nunn is very capable in the defensive end, but we already know what he does on offense. He could, If he was a top 10 pick, he'd have been – right up there for um, rookie of the year just because of where it was picked with the numbers he was putting up. But, and then you've got people like Hero who are coming in, not afraid to shoot. They, they just know their roles so well. And I think right now the Heat is my favorite team to watch. Just watching them play, they – well, okay, they're not my favorite team. We'll get to that team later, but 
I love the basketball they're playing. It has been outstanding. I think another guy we have to bring up is Goran Dragic, and he's been playing fantastic this playoff run. He He's had so many games above 20. His last four are above 20. He's the perfect floor general. I mean, he – he, the thing you love about him, and I can imagine why people love playing with him, he doesn't shoot bad shots. You oh, never see Dragic shoot a bad shot. And every shot, he has about four shots that he's really comfortable with, and I feel like those are the only four shots. And if it's not, if he's not getting one of those shots, he will not force it. And so he, that's another way of fitting perfectly into the Miami Heat offense. Like he hasn't shot a game under 40% from the field this entire playoff run. Oh, that does not surprise me in the least. He is he because he never is even the focal point on offense. He just no people don't people don't expect him. Yeah, like especially with him coming off an injury last year, people weren't really expecting him to play the way he is, and he's playing fantastically. I wasn't expecting him to play as well. Goran Dragic, Goran Dragic for me is definitely a player that I forget about a lot. Um, you know, you talk about point guards, he's probably about the last one that would pop into my mind. But the man, I mean, the man is a certified bucket. He's been a bucket since he was in Phoenix. Uh, we know what he does on the offensive end. Defense is not his specialty, but that's another reason why this team construction is so good. You don't have to be good at that good on defense if you're playing with the Miami Heat because you've got four people behind you that I guarantee you are loving playing defense also coming into this playoff run i thought it was gonna be bam that was gonna be the x factor apparently it's drogic dropping 20 a night bam can't be understated no Uh, he's not understated like bam has been the defensive leader on that team i think behind jimmy but scoring wise i thought it was gonna be bam i thought he was gonna take that next step but drogic's just taking it to another level this playoff run. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that band would do a little better offensively as well, but um, watching this series in particular is um, cause I watched this one, obviously uh, closer than I watched Bucks first magic. And I'm really starting to grow a new appreciation for Brooke Lopez's defense. Um, I had never really thought about him as that kind of a player because I mean, for as long as I've known him, he's basically like, an offensive-minded center for sure, mm-hmm. but his buy-in with the Bucks on his role to just shoot threes and play outstanding defense has gone incredibly. Like I know that the Bucks are down 0-2, but I just have to show Lopez some love. He's turned himself in. I remember watching a playoff game probably five years ago. He was still with the Nets, and he hit his first ever three at like the halftime buzzer. And now this guy is like a seven foot tall Clay Thompson. He's bought into the change of the NBA, the team that he's on, the culture and everything that the coach wants to do. And that it's players like that, that give you a chance to be a championship team. All right. um, Moving on to this Raptors Celtics series. That, that uh, buzzer beater definitely hurts Boston a lot. But I think they're going to bounce back from it easily. Looking how they played in the first two games, 
even in the third game. Uh, um, obviously, Toronto won it, but for I, and I watched, I, I watched starting in midway through the second quarter. I want to say, and watched up until I missed the OG game winner because I figured the game was over. But um, the, even the whole game, it felt like it was Boston's game. Really Toronto good. had to play this game perfectly. Yeah. Fred Van Bleet dropped 30, 25 and Kyle Lauer dropped 31. That's not happening again. Not both of them at the same game. No. I, my, I feel like the biggest question for me is if Toronto really wants to have a chance, it's going to be what are you going to get from Siakam? Because he has been absolutely neutralized. He is not. He hasn't put a game over 20 in this series so far. He went 13, 17, and 16. And that is your that is your star player. And the numbers don't sound that bad, but I guarantee you there isn't an efficient game in there. And he's also shooting – yeah, he's shooting awfully. Yeah. It, I have he, didn't make it, he didn't make a three his first game. He's shooting under 40%. That's, that's not good coming from Toronto. Because you lost Kawhi Leonard, and Pascal was supposed to be the star to take over for him, and he's not showing up in the big time. He's not, and it's very weird. I, I figured that we would see some players, you know, come in and have some rust, but we've seen every player basically that came in not shooting that well in the beginning in the bubble, and now they're turning it around. Pascal is literally probably the only the only guy that I can even think of right now that still hasn't figured it out in the bubble I kind of thought honestly going into it that it would be players would be better in the bubble because for one I thought you have no fans no no real pressure just an open gym and I've seen a lot of really good players playing an open gym or just even like a practice setting you could be the worst player on the bench and if you're at practice, you probably shoot 80%. And it, it, that's why it just feels like such a uh, like practice or scrimmage kind of environment that I figured players would almost kind of get into that mode and, you know, kind of shoot better and all that. And I we saw it in the Jazz and Utah series between, you know, um, Jamal Murray and uh, Donovan Mitchell. But – Pascal cannot figure it out, and it's it's weird to me because he it's not like he struggled that much in that role during the regular season. No, he, he was playing amazingly in the regular season. Like he was, like I I think he could have been back up for most improved player again because yeah. he's improved that much. So it is really perplexing to see. Um, I really, I really don't know what you do. I guess if you're Toronto, you have to hope that, you know, you have another player that gets it going because I think at this point with Pascal, the only way that he can really be successful is if he's not the focal point. And another thing, Tatum had his worst playoff game, like playoff game of this playoff run last game. Of the seven games he's played, that was his worst one by far. Just shooting wise, yeah. like he he couldn't he couldn't hit it, and they still only lost by one off a of buzzer beater. The Celtics are. The, I said earlier that I thought the Heat were my favorite team to watch. 
and then I took it back. And the sole reason is the Boston Celtics. I don't think that there's a better put together team that plays with more chemistry. It just feels like this team has played together for their entire careers. They always seem to know what the other person is going to do. Their chemistry is unrivaled. And just the collection of players fits together so well. You can afford for Tatum to have an off night because you have Kemba Walker who's prepared to step in and drop 35 whenever it's needed. You've got Jalen Brown who's going to – give you the same things every single night between 15 and 25 points. And he's going to guard one of the better offensive players. And he's just going to dog them all night and hit his buckets. You have Marcus Smart off the bat. This team is crazy. And then you have Robert Williams, which I can't remember the last time he's played. He's been a revolution for them in this series in particular. Like, this team is basically just bigs off the bench, but it's bigs that can switch on to anyone. Yeah. Like, Robert Robert Williams is a 6'8", 240-pound guy, but he can play the 2 to 5. Oh, absolutely. In this day and age, Robert Williams is perfect. You can throw him at the 5 and be content no matter really who you're going against, you know? Uh, I really like uh, Rob Williams' game, the Time Lord shout-out. Um, but this – this Celtics team looks scary, really scary. And it's even scarier to say that coming off of a loss. You already, I already know Tatum's going to get his shot back no matter what. Unless you have OG Ananobi on him the entire game. And OG played 45 minutes. He can't do that every night. Yeah, I – that is crazy. I, although, I don't know. If you're the Raptors, you probably need him to. Yeah, you need him to. But I don't think OG has the stamina to play against the bet, one of the, like, easily a top 15 player in the league for, four, for 40 minutes a night, every single night. Yeah, I mean, especially not when uh, – not on every night, I don't think. Especially when you have – you know, when, it, when an offensive player goes for a switch – it's kind of a sign of respect to the defensive player that's guarding them. But for Ananobi, usually that also means you get kind of a break. You know, you're going from maybe guarding LeBron to guarding Avery Bradley or, you know, something of that nature in the switch. Mm-hmm. In this situation for Ananobi, he's going from Jason Tatum to who's next? Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Marcus, offensive problem makers. Like, he, he doesn't get a break, even when he gets a switch. It, that's just – this Celtics team is ridiculous. All, all four of the players you just listed are playmakers, and they're able to dish it out. I know Tatum is still working on this playmaking. Still isn't the best at passing out of bad situations, but he's working on that. But you have Kemba, who's honestly one of the better playmakers in the NBA. Doesn't exactly have this sister show for it, but just – has the eye for it. Yeah. He, he, you see it when it comes down to it. He, he has no problem making the pass and finding the open man. And that was, you know, the whole thing with the sh- pass to Tice. That was a beautiful play. I was watching that, and I, in the moment I was like, what are you doing? And then he dumped it right off to Tice, and I was like, that was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. 
obviously it didn't really, you know, count for much, but it was still a beautiful play. <laughs> All right, let's move on to – we already talked a little bit about the Lakers and Houston series. Um, this Clippers and Denver series. Denver played awful in that first game. Yeah, I hate to say this, but I think this is – I think that's the sign of what's to come. I don't. No, I don't think that it's gonna, they're going to get blown out four games in a row and get swept. But I think that this is where some of the problems for Denver starts to arise. Um, their biggest weak point is really wing defense. And yeah. that is – if you want to flip it, that's – the Clippers' best asset, I'd honestly say. And also, that is where the Clippers have all of their playmakers. The The Nuggets really have how many – two guys in I'll, – I'll, I'll stretch it and say three guys that can guard Kawhi and Paul George, and that's Torrey Craig, Gary Harris, and I'll, I'll will stretch it and say Jeremy Grant. Me, I don't that, think Jeremy Grant could guard Paul George. I think he could he could guard Kawhi just because yeah. Kawhi isn't as a, a gifted ball handler as Paul George. Because Paul George can just break you down and make you fall on the mid-range. Yeah, and how many of those players start for the Nuggets? One. Yeah, I mean, it, I just think this is a an unfortunate matchup for the Nuggets. Um, they're a supremely talented offensive team, but they have a lot of defensive liabilities. And the biggest one, probably weirdly enough to me is perimeter defense. Um, You know, you can usually get away with um, having a center like Jokic with, you know, good rotations and, um, you know, having people crowd shooters in the paint, but, it, it, when you have one-on-one playmakers, the caliber of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, it, it makes it difficult when you have to have one guy out there on those guys on an island, basically, and ask for a stop. Um, another thing is like even the guard play, like defensive-wise, Jamal Murray was not able to do anything. Even with Patrick Beverly not playing like at all this game, played like twelve minutes, maybe. Yeah. But you also have Reggie Jackson coming off the bench who isn't as good of a scorer as he was in Detroit, but still a still a serviceable defender. And Jamal just couldn't hit anything. Like he shot thirty three from the field and twenty five from three. That those I mean, that's not gonna get it done uh, against a team the caliber of the Clippers. Because the Clippers they are so talented, in my opinion, that they could literally go into every game and just kind of feel out who's got it going. You know, what five players are we going to ride tonight? And they can they can do that. They have that luxury with how talented they are. The Nuggets, they really don't. They really have, you know, it's all chips in the – it's, you know, all in. They need their best players to play good. And, you know, the Clippers definitely do as well, but not to the same extent just because of how deep they are. The Clippers need – I mean, the Nuggets need that. So – Also, they played Michael Porter Jr. a lot. 
and he he played so badly. Denon had a three, shot two for nine. I think he he was one that I was tempted to put into the category of being able to guard uh, Paul George and Kawhi, but um, I I don't think that it's really his best suit or best position. I think that he'll probably get in that matchup a lot just based on his position and size. But um, it, uh, they they're gonna need his offense. They're gonna need every player that comes into the game. They're going to need offense from because the Clippers are just that talented in my mind. Like the Nuggets didn't have a person over 20 points. Not one. That's not going to get it done. Wow. Yeah, I, I, the max I see this series going is six. This is, I don't think it's going to a seven. That's my, I'd, I'd say the series is a six game series. Um, because the only problem I really have with the Clippers is I feel like they, um, at least up until this point, they it seems like they kind of have a tendency to lose focus of you know certain things, and um, I, I could see them giving away a game. Um, not, I don't think I could see them giving away two, but I could see them giving away a game, and I could see the Nuggets coming out, you know, on fire one night. But um, I, I think this is the Clippers series to lose. Uh, I think the Nuggets, like I said, they just don't have the defenders to keep up with the playmakers that the Clippers have. All right, let's do a let's do a little more predictions for the rest of this second round. Um, I, for me, I think Miami has taken it over Milwaukee personally. Uh, this is. Probably the hardest series to pick for me. Um, I w- I would really like to see Miami win it, um, uh, just because it's the NBA playoffs. We haven't had NBA in so long. Like a five seed over a one seed, awesome. Give it to me. But there's a part of me that does not think that the Bucks will lose this series. Uh, I'd say. It's definitely it's, to me. It's definitely a seven-game series, but I'll take the Bucks. See, for me, I think Giannis is in the same situation or is in a similar situation to what LeBron was in 2010 in Cleveland. Yes, just Giannis has definitely more of a star player behind him and Chris Middleton because LeBron basically carried an awful team to the finals. I mean, LeBron had nobody on that team. He had Mo Williams. That was about it. Yeah. And that's what's kind of scary is if Giannis loses this series, he's – are people really going to look at him as a number one option? Yeah, I think think so. Because I think think it might be the same situation with – LeBron going down to Miami and getting that championship DNA instilled into him with Dwayne Wade. Well, I got a quick question for you. Have you seen the report that came out the other day about Giannis? Was it the Golden State one or? I don't, I I can't remember. I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. It was a story that came out that 
the best kept secret in the bubble is Giannis. Um, oh, the Raptors. It was the Heat and Raptors, yes, that they were the front runners supposedly from the. I bubble. mean, there is still another off. Se- there is still one more season. Yep. So if Giannis can turn it around next year, then maybe. But I don't know. Like looking at him, this entire playoff run, he hasn't looked like the MVP that everyone claims him to be. Yeah, um, I'm at the point where, to me, Giannis is the best player in basketball currently. Um, Just uh, there's no real matchup for him. And it's been weird for me to see that, you know, as a player that we associate with basically only ever Shaquille O'Neal as, you know, dominant wise, Mm -hmm. so weird to see his (sighs) – the the amount with which he defers and allows other players to you know attempt to make plays and make shots and also with how it never really looks like he's trying to take over a game i mean it's you're Giannis. like you could probably dunk from the three point line <laughs> why why does it look like you're just content to drive and kick it out to divincenzo Middleton, George Hill, all game when you could easily take one more step and just bring the backboard down. Like, like I said, I think it's going to be like, if he does lose here, I, it's going to be the same situation as LeBron's 2010 year going down to Miami. I think it's different circumstances. Because, I'm saying like the like he needs that championship DNA yeah. instilled into him. He needs to go to a team where he is surrounded by people who also have championship DNA. Yeah, I think um, I I could see that. It's just almost kind of weird because um, LeBron was LeBron didn't have you know the one seed in in you know when he was with Cleveland. He was also their entire team. And Giannis is almost the opposite. He's probably – I don't even think he plays hardly over 30 minutes a game because they don't – they never really need him to, at least in the regular season, and with how deep their team is. And you kind of just need him to be the best player on that team, you know? Like everybody else is – content with their role and has a good role and knows exactly what to do. And they can't really play up to their roles as good as they can without Giannis doing what he does best. So, but I think it's also a little unfair only because the Heat are the one team that gives him fits, you know. Um, I, I don't think that he should be so ready to just, you know, up and leave based on the fact that he got matched up against the one team that is kind of his kryptonite. But um, it, it'll be – game three is going to be interesting, whether what we see Giannis come out and do. That's happening later tonight as well. So, I if they if Milwaukee goes down 3-0, then I'm, I'm calling it there. Yeah, I would chalk it there too. All right. On to this Boston-Toronto series. Toronto got lucky with that OG game winner. I'm I'm taking 
Boston in six. That's exactly what I was going to say. I've been seeing all these people on Twitter and Instagram saying, oh, yeah, yeah, OG is great. We're going to win the series in seven. No. Yeah. That was the luckiest possible shot. And Jalen Brown, who was literally like 10 feet away from OG, almost closed out on him and blocked it. Yeah. Um, If Raptors fans are – you know, that excited about that, it kind of goes to show what position they're in. Um, because I think this is a quick series. Um, this the Celtics are the best team in the playoffs right now to me. Having you know, when I watch them play, I don't think there's another team on their level right now, currently. And I've got I could say this could be a five game series, but I'll, I'll say six as well. You know, I appreciate that being a Boston fan. Uh, <laughs> moving on to this Lakers Houston series. Lakers are taking this in five. Yeah. Um, if, if you're Houston and you almost lost to what? Chris Paul is 37? 30, 38? 35. 35. Yeah. You almost lost to an old Chris Paul who's nowhere near his prime anymore. Yeah. And a rookie Lou Dort. And you won by one two points. In game seven. Yeah. Uh, this is this is going to be a – I like – you said five. I want to not agree with you on everything, so I'm going to say six games. But, yeah, I don't – this is a series I'm going I'm to have to see game one to just see how it's going to play out. Um, if J.J. Tucker or Rocco can somehow play defense against Anthony Davis and keep him to 20 points, then, yeah, I can go six. But if A.D. is dropping 25, 26 in game one, then I, I don't see it going more than five. Yeah, and, I mean, then as much as all the other things that Houston has to th- think about and deal with with the small ball, at the end of the day, you got one of the greatest players of all time leading the other team. Like – it's not a good series for them. Uh, it's just LeBron. It's literally just LeBron. That I don't want to say anything more. Six games, LeBron James. Another thing, <laughs> Houston still doesn't have, or do they have Westbrook Breck? They have Westbrook Breck. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, from- but the thing, thing is, who is going to guard LeBron if you have Rocco and P.J. Tucker on the two bigs? Are you going to have Harden on LeBron? <laughs> I mean, Dan- Daniel House. Somebody, it's not, it's not going to be a good matchup for whoever it is. But I would honestly think that they would probably put Rocco on him only because I think he's their best defender, but also he's their tallest defender. Yeah, he's 6'7", so, while P.J. Tucker is 6'5". Like, yeah. Your tallest defender is shorter than LeBron. Yeah, and he basically the point guard. I mean, so oh wow, it could be a really fast series. I will say that. And also, Harden did not look like Harden. In, no, he didn't look like thirty-five point per game Harden. Yeah, and I understand he's being guarded by Lugan Stort, but and I love Lugan Stort. I'm a Thunder fan, but Lugan Stort is an undrafted free agent. And I know his whole role is to just guard Harden, 
But he Harden just almost got to the point where he didn't even want the ball. I mean, that's that's honestly how Harden has been in the playoffs. And it was and it was we're talking game seven. This man had twelve points and he made the biggest play of the game on defense. I, I like I can't take anything away from that. That was stellar. He won them that game. But twelve points, he knows his whole you know, he he knows what people say about him and him choking. And performances like that don't help. The it was I think it was twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen when he got blocked from behind by Manu. Yep. He choked that entire game. Like it came down to the last minute bucket and he got blocked. Like Harden in the playoffs has I honestly think he's become a th- certified choker. If this game goes five series, he is going to be classified as a choker. Yeah. And what you know, his performances are, you know, indicative of that, you know, label. But also, I think I just don't think that his style of basketball is gonna work. I, I think yeah, work. ISO ball is not gonna work against this Lakers team. Yeah, because you're gonna have LeBron on you probably most of the game. Yeah. LeBron is either going to be on Westbrook or Harden most of the game. Yeah. And that's a matchup you'll take for sure. All right. Now moving on to this uh, Clippers-Denver series. Unless Denver can somehow turn things around next game, I it's it's a five- or six-game series. I, I just don't trust Jamal Murray to play as well as he did in that uh, Utah series. I think we could see it from Jamal Murray, but at that point, you still have to realize, like, what else are you going to get? I, I expect him and Jokic to bounce back, but even at that point, that's still not enough. You need more, and – at that point, you just have to hope that the that either your defense is shutting down the Clippers or the Clippers are having an off night. And I can tell you one of those isn't going to happen, and that's them, you shutting down the Clippers. So if you're praying for off nights, I mean, you can win a game, maybe two, but I'm calling this uh, Clippers series, and I'll take five. All right. I... I think that's going to do it for uh, this episode of Hot Takes from the Berg. I'm your host, Jason Michener, joined alongside Ian Hatcher, and we will see y'all sometime next week. Have a good one.